morning. It's good to see you all here. Uh, if you are newer here, my name is Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors at Walnut Creek, and it's good to have you here with us. We want to say welcome. Uh, if you are newer here, we really believe that God's desire is for believers to walk in fellowship with other believers. And so our hope is that as you're here, uh, you would find us a place to root yourselves, your family, uh, and begin to follow Christ alongside us. And again, I, we, we truly believe that God's desire is for all believers to walk in genuine fellowship in the church. And so while you're here, don't miss the opportunity to say hi. Uh, you can stop by our Welcome Center on your way out of church and, and find out some next steps you can take to uh, begin to connect to the church. But this morning we're going to be uh, in the book of Luke together. We're in Luke chapter 24, and we're nearing the end of the book of Luke. For those of you who are new, you, you may not realize this, but this is about a seven-year journey for us through the gospel of Luke. And uh, we've been tackling it every spring and summer for the last seven years. And so we're getting close to the finish line here. And next week, we will finish the Gospel of Luke. And then after that, we're going to jump back into the book of Genesis. So get excited for that. But we're in Luke 24 this morning. We're going to start just by reading the Word of God together. So if you've got a Bible, get it out. Get it open to Luke 24. We'll read our text. Then we'll pray together. We'll pray for and with one another. And then we'll be on our way studying the Word together. So Luke 24, verse 36, says this, And as they were saying these things, he himself, meaning Jesus, stood among them. He said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I myself, touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and unbelieving because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered on high. That's the text that we'll study together this morning, but before we do that, I'm going to invite you all to take just a couple minutes here and turn to a neighbor, put your heads together, and spend just a couple minutes praying with one another. For one another. Take a couple of minutes here and just lift each other up in the Lord. Pray for humble hearts. Pray that we would be focused this morning. You can also pray for me. Pray that I would faithfully proclaim the Word of God this morning. Okay, and I know if you're newer here, that might be a little intimidating to have the pastor invite you to pray with a neighbor that you maybe have never met before. But I just want to encourage you we need prayer. We can love each other so well, I think, just through prayer. And so I would just encourage you, if you need to introduce yourselves to one another, go ahead and do that. But then lift each other up in the Lord. And then I'll pray for all of us and we'll be on our way in the text. Okay? On your marks, get set.
Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Christ has a mission for us. And he's gracious to give it to us, God. He is gracious to send us out to the nations to proclaim forgiveness, repentance, and forgiveness through Christ. God, I, I pray, Lord, as a church that we would be humbled and convicted through your word. God, by the mission that you have, God, not only have you accomplished that work on the cross, but but you have given that mission graciously to us that our lives would reflect your glory as we live out your mission in the world, Lord. We pray as a church that we would reflect your glory through that, God. Help us to be faithful. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, almost 18 years ago, uh, I was a sophomore in college at Drake University. A lot of people, uh, if you don't know this, a lot of people, they call Drake the Gonzaga of the Midwest. You know, great basketball, great academics. Uh, but I had just become a Christian at Drake. I was a sophomore, like I said, and I was on campus. And I remember working through the gospel in my own mind. And I, I remember thinking to myself, man, if this is, if this is really true, this message about Christ, that I am dead in sin, literally under the wrath of God because of that. I need a Savior. There is only one Savior in the world, and His name is Jesus. And He accomplished my salvation through His work on the cross. If that message is true, well, then it isn't just true for me. It is true for the whole world. It is as true for me as it is for every other person on the planet. It's not relative. It is concrete. And if it is true for the whole, whole world, then the whole world really does need Christ desperately. And that conviction, it was like God, he took a branding iron and just seared it on my heart. If this is true... It is true for the whole world. Everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. They need him. The world needs Christ. He isn't just better. He is essential. Now, Just like any real conviction that we have, that conviction, it started to change and affect my life pretty quickly. It started to affect my relationships. One of the first places it affected my relationships was in my family. I remember thinking, like, if this is true for the whole planet, then it is certainly true for the family that God has placed me in. And I started to pray for my family. I started to try to serve them, but more than anything, I started to try to talk to them about Jesus. And I remember, as I did that, one of my family members, they started to take an interest in the conversations that we were having about Christ. And we didn't live in the same state at, at that time, but I remember just nudging him. Just come here. Move down to Des Moines, get plugged into the church, start following Christ with me. And about 15 years ago, that's exactly what he did. He moved down here over the course of the next few years. He started to blossom in the church and grow and serve and love. And throughout that time, God was burning that same conviction into his heart that he had burned into mine. If this message about Christ in the Bible is really true, well, then it isn't just true for me. It isn't just true for our family. It isn't just true for our city. 
It is true for the whole world. And the whole world desperately needs Jesus. Because without him, the world is hopeless, dead in sin, under God's wrath. Well, about five years ago, that same family member of mine, he sat me down in my living room. And he spelled out a plan and a vision for how he and his wife, they were going to sell everything they had and move halfway across the world to take the message of Christ to one of the most broken, hopeless places on the face of the earth. A place where people literally live and die without ever hearing about how they can be saved from the wrath that is coming their way because of sin. They were going to learn a new language. They were going to learn a new culture and build a business from the ground up and do all of it just to have a chance to proclaim Christ to people who don't yet know him. And that's where they're at today. That's where they are this morning, halfway around the world, desperately trying to get Christ to people who don't yet have him. And as we come to our passage today, here's the question I want us to wrestle with. Is what he is doing, my family member, his wife, their kids, is that the exception or the rule? He's living like that, forfeiting possessions, crossing cultural lines to get the message of Christ to the world. Is that the exception or is that the rule? And in our text today, I believe Jesus answers that question for us. And as we come to the word, we've got just two points on our outline today. The appearance of Christ and the assignment of Christ. The appearance of Christ and the assignment of Christ. And we start with the appearance of Jesus. And we start there because before Jesus answers any questions or gives any assignment to his disciples, he first He shows himself to his disciples. And we're going to see that in the text in just a second. But I want to remind us of the context here. Where are we at in the story, in the narrative of the ministry of Jesus? And and where we're at, we're in Luke chapter 24. We're, We're after the crucifixion of Christ. We are after Jesus has risen from the grave. We're after Easter Sunday where the women had found the tomb empty. We're after the road to Emmaus where Jesus had appeared to these two guys who were getting out of Dodge because they had decided Jesus was not the Messiah. And Jesus, on that road to Emmaus, he had appeared to these two men. He had preached to them through the scriptures about how everything that happened with Christ, it was necessary and actually pointed to the fact that he was the Messiah. He opened their minds And when their minds were blown, they headed back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples exactly what had happened on the road and what Jesus had taught them through the scriptures. And that's where we find ourselves in Luke 24, verse 36. Okay, these disciples, they've come back, they've gathered the rest of Jesus' disciples, and they're huddled in a room with the doors locked. And this is what it says. As they were saying these things, explaining to the disciples what Jesus said, had preached to them. He himself, Jesus, stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified, and they thought that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. 
Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and unbelieving because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it. In their presence. This is Jesus appearing to his disciples. For many of them, it is the first time that they have seen the the risen Jesus. This is Jesus coming to appear to his disciples to reveal himself to them. And the disciples, they had a couple of fears when Jesus shows up on the scene. Okay, First of all, they were afraid of the Jews. The disciples were terrified of the Jews. They were afraid that what had happened to Jesus was also going to happen to them. They they were just plain afraid to die. John tells us in John chapter 20, they huddled in this room, they locked the doors for fear of the Jews. And so when Jesus suddenly appears among them, the doors are locked. Now they're terrified that there's a ghost among them. First they were terrified that the Jews might come. And now they're terrified there's a ghost among us. It's like, how did he get in here? And you know, ghosts, they're, they're scary. I remember one time, I was in my grandparents' basement. And I was all by myself, I was standing there. And then all of a sudden, while I was standing in my grandparents' basement, three ghosts appeared sitting around. No, I'm just kidding, that didn't really happen. <laughs> I don't really have any good ghost stories, so I just made one up. But like, if you even just think that you might see a ghost, that is terrifying. And so they're terrified, and Jesus wants to assure them, I'm not a ghost. I am here in the flesh. He shows them his hands and his feet that still have the wounds. John tells us he shows them his side, where they had pierced him. And he says, touch me, I'm real. And you know, when Jesus does that, they are so happy that they can't believe it. It says that they doubted because of their joy. They were so happy, number one, that this isn't a ghost. But number two, because this is Jesus. He's actually alive in the flesh, resurrected. And he assures them and calms their fears in that. But I think there was another fear the disciples probably had. You see, I think Jesus had to assure them and and set aside the fear that they probably had wondering, what is Jesus going to do to us now that he is back from the dead? Like what? Is Jesus going to say to us? What is he going to do to us now that he is back from the dead? Because where did we last see Christ? Where, where did the disciples last see Jesus? They're failing him. Abandoning him. You know, in the garden, Jesus asked them to pray with him. What did they do? They slept. In his hour of greatest need, can you please just pray for me? Can you please just pray with me? And they sleep. Peter, he cowered. He he tailed Jesus. But then instead of standing up for him, standing by his side at his trial, he cowered in fear when a little girl asked him, Are you with him? Don't you know Jesus? The great Peter who said he was willing to die with Jesus, 
he rejected Jesus completely. They abandoned him. Or think about those disciples on the way to Emmaus. Why were they leaving Jerusalem? Why were they going to Emmaus? Because they had already decided he's not the one. They said, we we hoped that he was the one. But now we know he's not. And so when Jesus appeared to them, you could understand that they probably had some justifiable fear about what Jesus might do. But Jesus doesn't crush them. He, He doesn't say to them, you guys are failures, you're terrible friends, you're traitors. He doesn't shame them. Instead, he leads with this, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he shares a meal with them and he gives them the most important assignment in the world. Jesus doesn't crush them. He doesn't shame them. He gives them instead the most important assignment in the world. Point number two, the assignment of Jesus. And I want us to just understand, first of all, the graciousness of Jesus in this. To come to his friends who have failed him in his hour of greatest need. And he doesn't destroy them. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't hold it over their head. Husbands and wives, take note here. Jesus is so gracious. And he doesn't even bat an eye in giving them literally the most important assignment in the history of the world. Which is this. Go proclaim Christ to all the nations. Go and proclaim Jesus to all the nations, to everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. The assignment that Jesus gives is to proclaim repentance for forgiveness through Jesus to every nation. Not some, not one, but all. And I want us to see it in our text here in Luke chapter 24. Because I think a lot of us were familiar with Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But here in Luke 24, it is the same message. This is Jesus laying down the Great Commission in Luke chapter 24. It says this. He told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All in the word of God points to Christ and it must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said also to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name, in the name of Christ, to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father has promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this text and we're going to make four statements about the Great Commission through the Word of God in Luke chapter 24. Okay, And I want you to notice that all of these statements in that we're going to make about the Great Commission, they all have direct implications for our lives as believers. Even if you're not a believer, these statements have implications for you. Statement number one, the Great Commission, it is the proclamation of Christ to all nations. That's what it is. The Great Commission, it is a demand from God that Christ must be proclaimed to all nations. That's what the Great Commission is. 
nothing less. Here's what this means. You know what the Great Commission is not? The Great Commission, it is not a generic call to just be involved in discipleship. It's not what it is. It is not a generic call for believers to be involved with discipleship. It's not less than that. But it is much more than that. The Great Commission, it is not a call just to do evangelism. It's not a call to Christians to do evangelism. It's not less than that. But it is so much more than that. And the Great Commission is not a statement that says churches should care about growth. Churches should have a good growth strategy and a good church planting strategy. That's great. But that is not what the Great Commission is. It's not a generic call to churches to say you should try to grow. The Great Commission, it is a demand. A demand from God to all believers that the message of Christ, the message of repentance for forgiveness through Jesus, it must be proclaimed to all the nations. To everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. That's the Great Commission. That's what it means when Jesus says in verse 46, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed, must be proclaimed to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you got to realize, when Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, see, th- this was unthinkable. The idea that he is sending people out. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, how we have been sent out to testify to the glory of Christ. We are not proclaiming ourselves as glorious. Instead, we're proclaiming Jesus as glorious and ourselves as your servants for the sake of Christ. Do you realize how crazy that would have been? Like think about 2,000 years ago. When people showed up from faraway lands. If you're lucky they're coming to trade with you. If you're unlucky they're coming to dominate you. To take you over. To take over your land. To put you under their rule. And here's Jesus saying, I'm sending you out to go serve the nations, to go be servants of other nations, that they might know the grace that Christ has earned upon the cross for them. What an incredible mission. You know, before this, I've got to believe there were not a lot of people who were trying to lower cultural barriers who are trying to cross cultural bridges just so that other nations, other peoples might be blessed and find life in God. Jesus says literally all over the world you are to preach that Jesus has died and suffered for you. And Jesus has risen from the dead for you. 
And if you will repent and turn to him, there is perfect grace and forgiveness and life and love in the Lord for you. And the Great Commission demands for believers to preach the risen Christ to all nations, everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. Let me just stop here. Did you hear what Jesus said in Luke 24? Or in Matthew 28. See I know it's familiar. But did you hear what Jesus said? The great commission is a demand from God. To all believers. That the message of Christ must be preached. To all nations. To everyone. Everywhere. No exceptions. Jesus says in Matthew 28, you must go, therefore, and make disciples. All of the world is not coming to us. They're not coming to our culture, our language. So we must go. The Great Commission demands the message of Christ be taken and proclaimed in languages the world can understand, in ways that the world can understand. Because if the message of Christ is true, then it is true for the whole world. And if it is not for the world, then it is not true at all. The Great Commission is a demand for the proclamation of Christ to all nations. It is not less than that. And that is the mission that Christ has given to the church. It is the mission that Christ has given to every believer who is a part of his church. Statement number two, the Great Commission is demanded by God's word. The Great Commission, it is demanded through a right understanding of the Word of God. This is what Jesus lays out in Luke chapter 24. See, Jesus, he doesn't just arrive at the Great Commission out of thin air. He doesn't just like lob a hand grenade into the lap of the disciples and say, Hey, here it is. I want you to go and preach Christ to all the nations. He arrives there as the necessary conclusion from what God's word reveals. Look at this. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Verse 44, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, it has to be fulfilled. It must be. And then he opened their minds to understand the word of God. And he said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. It is as certain as the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is as necessary as the death and resurrection of Jesus, the proclaiming of Christ to the nations. He's telling them all of the Bible. All of God's word, all of the scriptures, they all are one coherent, complete message. Not just pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus, but to the truth that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is saving people of all nations. And you cannot understand the word of God apart from understanding that truth, what it is all about in the first place. You you can't make sense out of life. Your life will not make sense if you do not understand the great mission of God. That Christ has come and died and risen from the grave and must be proclaimed to all the nations. 
the word, it all points to Christ and it all points to the necessity of Christ for the world. And if you miss that, your life will miss the mark. The Great Commission is demanded by God's word. All of it, not just Luke 24. Remember, what Jesus is doing, he's not making one small statement out of left field. He's preaching the word. And pointing out the word demands the Great Commission. Statement number three, the Great Commission is for witnesses. And this is a huge deal to see in the text. The Great Commission is for witnesses. Verse 46, he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. That's why I'm sending you. Great Commission is for witnesses. Now, when Jesus says this in verse 48, he's talking to people who were likely eyewitnesses to many things. And you and I are not firsthand eyewitnesses. We are secondhand witnesses, but witnesses nonetheless. We are witnesses to those who were firsthand witnesses. We're a lot like Luke. We bear witness to eyewitnesses. And the point is this. Jesus is telling us the Great Commission is for witnesses, not spiritual all-stars. Not people who received a gold medal in Sunday school. It is for witnesses, and that's who these people are. They they are just witnesses. I mean, think about the failure of the disciples. Just days before this. In Jesus' hour of great need, they were not all-stars. But they were witnesses. They saw something and they knew something. And because of that, they had to testify. They, they knew something that had implications for the whole world. Serious implications. For real human beings who are valuable to God. Do you realize every person on the planet is just as valuable to God as you are? I can feel like the center of the universe, but I'm not the center of the universe. These people matter. And we know something that has very serious implications on their lives, on their eternity. We are witnesses and witnesses must testify. We have an obligation to testify. I mean, if you were a witness to a crime and you had the ability to set somebody free by your testimony... You have an obligation to testify. We are witnesses. We know something that has incredibly serious implications on people's lives. Real people who God actually cares about. And we must testify. The Great Commission is not for spiritual all-stars. It is not for Sunday school gold medal winners. It is for witnesses. And if witnesses will not testify, the world is going to die and go to hell. I know that can sound harsh and scary. And in no way at all does that nullify the sovereign work of God in salvation. 
But I'll just tell you. The reason God demands that witnesses testify is because of that truth. How do people come under submission of the Lord? How are people saved? It isn't by being a good person. It isn't by just trying hard. Hey, make it work with the tools you've got. It is by hearing the message of Christ and by faith turning to Him. If witnesses will not testify, the world will die and go to hell. So God has not hung the responsibility to bring Christ to the nations on just a few spiritual all-stars. He has put the responsibility on all of us as witnesses to testify to the glory of Jesus. We don't preach ourselves. We don't need to be glorious. We don't need to be all-stars. We don't preach ourselves. We preach the glory of Christ and ourselves as mere servants. And God has put the responsibility to bring Christ to the nations literally on every single believer in the world. We have different roles, no doubt, but we share the responsibility in the mission as witnesses. And the mission is to proclaim Christ to every nation, everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. Statement number four, the Great Commission is accomplished through the power of God's Spirit. And if it were not for this truth, we would be hopeless. We would be overwhelmed and crushed by the weight of the mission. But the mission, it is accomplished through the power of God's Spirit. The proclamation of Christ, it is empowered by the Spirit of God. So before we freak out and go hero mode on it, we need to see this truth. See what Jesus says in Luke 24. Before he gives his disciples this assignment, before he sends them out on this assignment, he tells them to do something. Luke 24, 49. Look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, Stay in the city. Hey, there's a huge, huge need for Christ in all of the world. And it's urgent and people are dying every day. But I want you to do what? Stay in the city until you are empowered by God's spirit. Because don't you think you can go and accomplish what God is doing in the world apart from the work of his spirit? Stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And just to explain what Jesus is talking about here, he tells his disciples, before you go preach the gospel to the world, you need to receive what my Father has promised you, which is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 7, if I don't go away, the counselor's not coming. But if I do go, I am sending the Spirit to you, that you would be filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit that filled them on Pentecost in Jerusalem, fills us as believers in Christ. And it is the Spirit of God who empowers us to proclaim the message of Christ to all the nations. We have no hope of accomplishing the Great Commission apart from the powerful work of God's Spirit inside of us. He empowers us. And that truth, it doesn't diminish our need to take real actual responsibility in the Great Commission. 
that spiritual reality that we must be empowered by the Spirit, it does nothing to diminish the responsibility we have to take the message to the nations. It doesn't diminish our need to give financially to the work of the Great Commission. It doesn't diminish our need to actually physically go or to send or support or pray. What I would say instead is this, without the power of God's Spirit in us, believers will do nothing to take the message of Christ to all the ends of the earth because it's just way too hard. It's too uncomfortable, it's too overwhelming, it's too inconvenient. We need God's Spirit empowering us to do the very things that it takes to get the message of Christ to all the nations. We need the Spirit of God empowering us to give sacrificially to the work of the Great Commission. We need the Spirit of God empowering us To send, to go, to pray, to serve, to sacrifice. And not only do we need the Spirit of God living and moving among us, we need the whole body of Christ working together as a team. We actually need the whole church working together, bearing the responsibility of the Great Commission. To carry the responsibility together, to take the message of Christ to all the nations The Great Commission is not for great Christians. It is for all Christians. We worship a global God who has a global mission for all of his people. And we need each other. And we need God's spirit at work in us. In order to accomplish his great commission. So what am I saying? What is Jesus saying here in Luke 24? What is the practical implication of the Great Commission for you, for your family, for your life? Well, if you're a believer here this morning, first of all, you need to ask yourself, do you actually believe the Great Commission is for you? I hope so. Because if not, I'll just tell you, the Great Commission is for all believers. So if the Great Commission isn't for you, you need to think about what that means. But if you are a believer, and you see that Christ has given the Great Commission to all of us, what are you supposed to do with that? What does that mean for your family, for your life? Should everybody just sell their stuff right now? Go home, put your house on the market, buy a plane ticket, and head out tomorrow to go preach Christ to the nations. Well, here's what I'll tell you. I don't exactly know what it means for you. I don't. God does, but I do not. I cannot prescribe exactly what God has in store for your life or what he would call you to In the context of his great mission for his people. But this much I know. Number one. You must be convinced that the message of Christ is a message for the whole world. You must be convinced that if this is true, it's true for the whole world. You must be convinced that Jesus, the whole world, needs Jesus. Number two. You must be convinced that proclaiming the Christ 
proclaiming Christ to all the nations, it is a responsibility that we all share as believers. You have to be convinced that your responsibility to the Great Commission is no different than mine and no different from the brothers and sisters that we have sent halfway around the world from our church to go preach Christ. Jesus is clear on that. The Great Commission demands that. You must be convinced the message of Christ is for the whole world. You must be convinced that we share that responsibility to proclaim Christ to the nations with every other believer in the world. Number three, you must live like that is true. Whatever that means for you, for your life, for your family, for the specific ways that God has gifted you, is working through you, you must live like Those things are actually true. You can't ignore it. You cannot dismiss the Great Commission. You must live like the Great Commission is a demand from God that Christ must be preached to all the nations, to everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. And that responsibility, it is as much mine as it is yours, as it is our brothers and sisters in Asia and in Africa and in the Middle East. You have to live like that is true. Whether you spend the rest of your life in Des Moines or not. And here's what I'm convinced of. God wants everyone in our church to live like this is true. To live like the whole world needs Jesus. To take that seriously. Don't assume that you have no role in the Great Commission. Assume that you do. So pray and seek God's will for your life. Get counsel. Figure out what God would have you do. Wrestle with him in this. Take him seriously at his word. That his mission is to preach Christ to the nations. And I'm convinced of this. If we all do that. If we pray and take God seriously. And seek him and get counsel. I am convinced that God will lead many of us. To go somewhere. For the sake of proclaiming Christ. To the nations. And I'm convinced that God will lead many of us to give financially to the work that is going on around the world. And I am convinced that God will certainly lead all of us to pray regularly, to care, to advocate, to mobilize, to send, to support the proclamation of Christ to the nations. Because that is what the Great Commission demands of the church. That is what Jesus demands of his church and of every believer. We must share the responsibility to proclaim Christ to everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. Just to close, if you want one other small practical step that you can take, here it is. Go to the church website, go to the global ministry page, and just take 10 minutes, take 15 minutes And just see what the church is doing and how you can be involved in the global ministry. Okay, And and the global ministry is not the totality of the Great Commission. It is not. Okay, Kids ministry in the church is a part of the Great Commission. 
But I want you to take some time to understand what we are doing as a church, what God is doing, not just in our body, but also beyond our borders, okay? Around the world. Take a look at the the global ministry and see what is going on and see how you can be involved and engaged in something that is a huge part of how we can be participants in the Great Commission, proclaiming Christ to the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I think we first need to be reminded, peace be with you. Lord, you have such a gracious heart, a gracious spirit towards us as you come to us, Lord. It's not with a hammer. You, you come like a whisper often, God. Lord, we are thankful for your grace, the grace that you have shown to us, God. We are thankful for the mercy that we have received, and it's because of that mercy that we don't give up. It's because of that mercy that we have received a ministry to take Christ to the world. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be faithful to your great commission. We would be believers who take seriously the demand for Christ to be preached to all the world. Lord, help us to see this morning, this week, how personally or as a family we can just grow in being participants in the Great Commission, Lord. Help us be bold witnesses who testify to the glory, the work, the salvation that comes through Christ. Lord, we lift it all up in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.